0: Well after last week and getting started in Jonah, staff and I had a real serious discussion about this idea of four-dimensional preaching, where we hook up water sprinklers to the pews so let you feel, put some extra winds. And for today, because of where we're going, we might even, might even make it a uh, real tactile by, uh, by introducing the, the smell of a, a fish's stomach, and uh, we decided that that was a bad idea, so we didn't do it. <laughs> nor in the effort of honesty did that conversation take place, but we're glad you're back, and I'm going to invite you, church family, to go ahead, and we're going to turn to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to, pardon the pun, it's not intended. We're going to dive right in. Last time we, left, truly not intended. Let's be clear. I just realized as I was about to say it, it was going to, someone was going to accuse me of a pun. So, uh, last time we left Jonah... If you're thinking of this like a four-part miniseries, when we left last week, uh, here is this violent storm uh, that the sailors and Jonah have encountered on the, on the Mediterranean Sea. This storm has come at the hand of God as a response to Jonah the prophet's refusal to, to go where God's called him to go. Instead, Jonah is running the opposite. And we, we see this language all throughout chapter 1. Jonah is continually descending and today, we're going to see the full extent of his descent, where he goes in the opposite of the Lord. And the storm is raging. They, they determine it's, it's Jonah who's at fault, and Jonah explains to him, if you want the seas to calm, you're going to have to throw me in. And so last we see, the sailors realize this is the only option. They ask God not to hold them accountable if Jonah dies. They throw Jonah in into the sea, and the sea stops. And that's the last we see Jonah. Instead, the rest of chapter 1 turns and we see these sailors who who prior to this worshipped false gods who did not know the truth. And we see them now, they're fearing God, the one true God. They are worshipping God. They are offering what sacrifices they can and making vows to offer more when they return. And then what in our Bible is verse 17 of chapter 1. In the Hebrew Bible, it's verse 1 of chapter 2. Here's where we pick up we left on a scene of worship, here's what we see, and and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Here's what we find as as Jonah, as we'll see in a moment, is sinking below the waves, coming ever closer to death. God has designated, that word appoint is a word that that means to designate, to to ordain, to, to anoint, This isn't just any creature. This is a specific creature that God has called on and raised up for this purpose. And by the way, is it a fish or is it a whale? Ask God when you get to heaven. (laughs) Because the word in the Hebrew is just the generic word for an aquatic creature. It doesn't say it's a whale, doesn't say it's a fish. It just says whatever this creature is, it's big, it's great, it's large. And this creature's been appointed by God, and this creature comes, we can almost see Jonah hanging there in the water, and then out of the darkness of nowhere, this creature comes and swallows him whole. And by the way, a lot will debate and try to figure out, well, how could this really work? Is there, is there a kind of creature a man could fit in? in this? Listen, the language of the text, here's two interesting things as we walk through today. Most people only know Jonah for the whale incident, yet the whale's only mentioned twice in the whole book. It's not the focus is the whale. Second, Jonah being swallowed by the whale, the whole language about God appointing this, this, this fish to swallow Jonah, the whole language about what takes place in the belly of the fish, it is all intended to be a miracle. It's not intended to be explained naturally. It's not intended to be repeated. It shouldn't surprise us that we don't see a lot of fish swallowing humans whole because that's not how the, t- the, the story approaches it. The idea is that God is doing something unique here to intervene, and as we'll see, bring deliverance, bring salvation in the life of his prophet. So there, there's this fish. Jonah's now inside the fish, and look with me, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 in our Bibles. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. By the way, this is the first time we've seen Jonah responding to the Lord in prayer. All book in the previous chapter. The sea captain woke him up and, and begged the prophet, won't you pray, and the text doesn't say he prayed, doesn't say he didn't, but this is the first time we know of that, that he prays. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried, or literally I screamed for help from the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the current or river engulfed me, surrounded, consumed me. All of your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will again try to look towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head." I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, while my strength was waning, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Or your Bibles may say forsake the mercy offered them but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. We find Jonah here in the, the belly of the fish. He is now safe and secured from drowning, though in our eyes I don't know how safe and secure you and I would feel in the belly of a fish, but we, we find out right away from the content of his prayer, Jonah does not see the belly of the fish as a danger Instead, in the discomfort of being trapped and surrounded by gastric juices and awful smells, he finds the belly of the fish a place of breaking, a place of contemplation, a place where God works on him. He finds it a place of deliverance. And he begins to pray and to offer thanksgiving for deliverance. And he says, I called out of my distress. Now, just picture with me as we walk through these words. It's very, it's, it's very colorful, very visual, I would say being thrown overboard in the midst of a violent storm at open sea, distress is a little bit of a small way to phrase that. In the midst of my distress as I am drowning in this storm, I cried out to the Lord and He answered me. The next word I cried out, it's literally I screamed, I screamed for help from the belly of Sheol. Now Sheol is an interesting term used throughout the Old Testament especially. Sometimes it's it's used more generically just to refer to the place of the dead. Sometimes it's used to go beyond that and and refer to not just the place of the dead, but the place of the dead as opposed to the place of those with God. He, he personifies it and says, herein, I was headed down to the very belly of Sheol. Sheol was about to consume and eat me, and from there, you heard my voice. said, you cast me. Jonah realizes, now listen, God didn't pick Jonah up out of the boat and throw him in, but God did use the sailors. Jonah recognizes the sailors' action. They were just kept following out the will of God. It's you, God, who, who hurled me, literally hurled me into the deep Into the heart of the seas, your current engulfs me, or your Bible may have a little note. It may even say it. The word there literally is river. At minimum, what he's pointing to is the currents of the ocean. I was sinking down in the ocean depths, and the currents were surrounding and consuming me. But there's also an idea that in ancient Near Eastern culture, the idea was that under the ocean, there was a river, and that river was the place where one who died was escorted to judgment and death. And if that's at play here in his in his imagery, just understand what he's what he's saying. I have been completely and consumed. I am being escorted down to death. All of your breakers and billows. Notice that not all of the breakers and billows. Jo- Jonah looks and sees the massive storm, the waves crashing over. And his response isn't that they're just neutral. He realizes, he recognizes, these are yours. God, you've sent these waves. This calamity at sea is from you, and they they pass over me. We realize Jonah's not bobbing up and down on the top of the water, but we're sinking. He says, I've been expelled from your sight. Jonah realizes, as the basis of his actions, he has removed himself. He has taken himself out of right fellowship with God by refusing to go there is no reason that should he, he should hear again. And then it says, nevertheless, I will look towards your holy temple. Now, there's if you do a lot of digging and study in Jonah, there's, there's different ways people have tried to explain. And what seems to be taking place is it's not a statement of Jonah's confidence that I, I know in spite of all this, as I am currently plunging to the depths of the bottom of the Mediterranean, I will see your temple again. It's not that. It's I'm gonna gonna try again. I know that I've been cast out from your side. I know that I don't deserve it. I know that I am here as a result of my own sin and disobedience, but nevertheless, I'm gonna try to cry again, your temple being that place where God rules, where God reigns, where God resides, certainly personified visually for the Israelites in the actual temple in Jerusalem, but it means I'm gonna look again. I'm gonna try again, Lord. I'm gonna cry out. As he crying out, watering, encompassed me to the point of death or up to my soul, maybe how your Bible says it. Understand, Jonah is being very vivid in his language to describe the fact that there's not a chance in the world of his own power he's making it out alive. He is sinking to his end. The great deep engulfs me. He pictures the seaweeds wrapping around his head as if burying him. To the roots of the mountains, I've, I've now we're not just sinking down, now we're arriving at the seafloor where, where the land meets the bottom of the sea. The earth with its bars trapping me forever. Jonah is in an utterly helpless place. He deserves it. He understands he deserves it. He's there as a result of the Lord's discipline. And as he finds himself in a place of death, we see what we see so common in Scripture. But. But. You, God, have brought up my life from the pit where Joseph descended down to Tarshish. He descended down into the boat. He descended down into sleep. He was thrown into the ocean. He's now descended down to the bottom. But you, O Lord, have brought my life up, up. Jonah has found himself in the place that is the ultimate anti-pilgrimage. He has found himself, if the Lord's dwelling place is in his temple on Mount Zion, up, he has found himself at the bottom of the world close to death, but you, O oh Lord, have brought me up. You, O oh Lord, have brought me up. You, O oh Lord, have have picked me up from the pit. Pit's a word used often in in the Scriptures, and uh, we, we find Jesus is thrown into a pit while he's awaiting trial. We find the psalmist using the imagery of the pit, and the word pit comes from a, from a root Hebrew word that means That means utter destruction. It's the idea of a ruin, annihilation, the decomposition of a corpse or final return to dust. He says, you, O Lord, have brought me up. When I had no strength, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He said, when there was no hope left, I cried out, you heard me and you brought me up. And he makes this statement. He says, those who regard vain idols... Forsake their faithfulness, or maybe your Bible says, forsake the mercy shown to them. The idea is that those who who worship idols, there is a mercy that might even be offered to them, but they reject that mercy and deliverance from God. In contrast, Jonah says, but I, I won't reject it. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pray. Salvation, deliverance is from God. So, here in the belly of the well, Jonah is contemplating all things. At some point, as as he's sinking to the bottom, obviously there is a prayer that he utters. I'm assuming he utters it mentally, not verbally, as you're sinking in the water. If it is verbally, then praise the Lord. It's just another reason God can understand any form of communication. But he cries out, that's the first cry, is that prayer for deliverance. God appoints, anoints, ordains the fish who comes and delivers him. And in the belly of that fish now, Jonah is praying a prayer of, of thanksgiving. And at the conclusion of those three days and nights, it simply says this, the Lord commanded, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. It vomited, it hurled him up. Now, part of that's just natural. Jonah's gotta come out one way or the other, but it's an interesting choice of word. Some of you laughing, you shouldn't laugh at that. That's terrible. (laughs) It's an interesting choice of word because to be vomited up is never a positive thing in the Old Testament. There's a little hint that even in the, in, in the deliverance from the means of deliverance, God is still working on Jonah, on the hardness of Jonah's heart, but nevertheless, it vomits Jonah up onto dry land, dry land. Now, again... Jonah's got to go somewhere. Dry land is where we live, but understand the imagery. There is an imagery in Scripture where the sea is a place of separation, where the bottom of the sea is a place of death. You and I were not made to live and dwell in the sea. We were made to live and dwell on dry land. Dry land is the place of life. Dry land is the place of God's temple. Dry land is the place of God's calling. When the Israelites were delivered by God, they did not walk across soggy ground, they walked across dry ground. God has now brought him back. And as we'll see next week, entering chapter 3, God is going to call him again. But the key to this whole passage, church family, is the little statement, the last line of his prayer. Salvation is from the Lord. The whole point of Jonah's prayer is this realization, this understanding, that salvation, deliverance, it's from the Lord. And the way that phrase is constructed, it might be better to say it this way in English. Salvation is from the Lord alone alone. Salvation is from the Lord alone. We see salvation all over this passage, church family. We see a physical deliverance of Jonah. He is dying. He is not only dying, but he's dying by his own rebellion. Yet God rescues him. We're going to see in that rescuing, that bringing him back, that putting him back on dry land, there is a restoration to fellowship with God. God, here's his prayer. Here's his cries. There is a, a renewing and a calling. We'll see in, in chapter 3 when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and sends him again, there is a restoration to calling. We see salvation for Jonah within the story. But church family, we know much more today that we don't just see salvation for Jonah in the story. We now see the full story. We see that there is salvation for any who would believe in Christ today. Amen. And it's interesting, Jonah, right? What is, what is Jesus in, in Matthew? The Pharisees are after Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really who you say you are, Show us a sign. Show us a work of power that would prove that you're God. Now understand the irony of that. How many people has Jesus, who are lame, has he healed? How many blind has he made see? How many times has he multiplied food? How many times has he raised Lazarus up from the dead? What other signs do you need? But the Pharisees say, we want a sign. And, and, and Jesus' reply is, understand, only a rebellious and wicked generation asks for signs, for more proof. You're only gonna get one more. And he says this, you will get the sign of Jonah, who three days and nights was in the belly of the well. So three days of nights, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth. Church family, once there was a man unwilling to go to the God people that God called him to go to, He's thrown and hurled into the sea by others. He's hurled in disobedience in order to forestall a calamity. He spends three days and nights in the belly of a fish to break his own hard-heartedness. In the belly of a fish that was appointed by the Lord. But also understand, this church family, there's one much greater than Jonah. Who descended from heaven, not in rebellion and not unwillingly, but willingly and humbly. Who took on flesh, fully God and fully man who lived the life you and I could not live, who willingly submitted to a sacrificial death on the cross, who spent three days and nights in the belly of the earth only to raise triumphantly forevermore. Just as there was a well appointed for Jonah's deliverance, so has there been a Messiah appointed for the deliverance of you and I. There is salvation today in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 15, He says, I delivered to you of first importance, of most importance, what I also heard, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12. He appeared after that to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive, Corinthians, so go ask them. He appeared to James, his brother, then to the apostles, and last of all to me, it's why the apostles could stand in front of the courts in, in Acts chapter 4 and say, There is salvation in no other name than Jesus under heaven. There is salvation nowhere else. Church family, the day of salvation is here, the day of rescue, the day of deliverance is here. It's here. There is deliverance from the kingdom of death and darkness. There is a reconciliation for you and me, for any man, woman, boy or girl, created in the image of God. By the way, all of them are created in the image of God. There is a reconciliation to a right, to an intimate, to a personal relationship with God. There is a restoration to a purpose, a calling, a mission where you and I can know real hope and fulfillment in the midst of a world that is hopeless and very unfulfilling. There is a renewed vigor for his commission. There is a hope. There is a future. How is this possible? How is this possible? How is this salvation possible? The salvation is not in the belly of a well. It's by the precious blood of Christ. Romans chapter 3 makes this statement. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified, being made right with God is a gift of His grace, giving that which is undeserved through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation. We've heard that word often since Easter, church family. That word means a sacrifice that drinks up every last drop of punishment, rightful, deserved punishment. And for the one who accepts it, makes right with God. In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed for demonstration, I say, of his righteousness now so that God would be both just, the just God who rightfully deals with sin and justifier of the sinner who cries out in faith in Christ Jesus. And it's why Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How is it possible? It's possible because Jesus is the appointed Messiah. Jesus is the appointed means of our deliverance and salvation. He shed his blood on your behalf and mine. He became our sin on that cross. What we see from the physical side is a horrible, terrible, cursed death. What we don't realize is on that cross, he is bearing the full and total wrath of God on your behalf and mine. And he died. And he was buried And He rose, and He was exalted, and He's alive, and He's coming back. How is this possible? It's not through the belly of a well, but through the appointed Messiah, from the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world, who offers His precious blood. So what does this mean? What does this mean? You're welcome to turn there if you want, Ephesians chapter 2. Just as Jonah finds himself sinking, dying with no hope, listen to how Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1, listen what it says, and you, speaking to us, church family, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We weren't simply sinking to the point of death. We were actually dead in our trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working, and the sons of the disobedient, among them too we all formerly lived, indulging in the desires of the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath, by nature we were hostile to God, by nature we are deserving of God's wrath. By nature, we are not just sinking down the ocean of sin. We are at the bottom ensnared. The weeds of sin and death have wrapped around us. The chains at the bottom, we are deserving, but God. How is this salvation possible? But God. But God being rich in mercy. Mercy. Mercy is that that deep internal desire that looks down from a place of goodness on high and sees someone in need hurting broken chained and is stirred with a deep-seated compassion to act on their behalf and alleviate god looks down upon us trapped under the sea of sin and death chained And being rich in mercy, stirred because of his great love. Why is he rich in mercy? Because God really does love the people he creates. With which he loved us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace through faith we are saved. And by grace through faith we are saved and we're saved. It says in verse 6, he raised us up with Christ. He seats us with Christ in the heavenly places. Church family, understand today You and I once were completely dead and trapped with no hope. And you go, well, I wouldn't. I mean, pastor, come on. You came to faith in Christ at five and a half. How bad were you? Okay, it's not like at five and a half I was running the biggest auto theft racket in Bryan College Station, nor nor did I know uh, that many bad words, nor did I... But by nature, I was a child of wrath. By nature, the reason I lied to my parents to not get a spanking is because by nature, I'm a child of wrath. I am dead without hope, yet there came a moment at five and a half. Where the kind conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart that I'm a sinner, met with the hearing of the gospel, the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he does. There was a cry out from the bottom of the chains of sin and death, a cry to a God who I did not worship and belong to and said, Jesus, save me. And guess what? God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved, he reached down and broke those chains. He plucked me out of the sea. He brought me up. He took me out of the kingdom of darkness, brought me to the kingdom of light church family. How great. Great is the salvation of our God. Amen. And for many of us who have been saved, the challenge is we too quickly move past the unbelievable reality that God really does love us and really did save us when we cried out. And When you look at the greatest men and women of, of church history who have loved the Lord and walked with the Lord, you will find every one of them never got over the fact Jesus saved them. But also understand this, inevitably in this room watching online, maybe there is a person here today, you can show up at church and you can still be trapped by sin and death under the sea of sorrow. And God's mercy and God's grace is just as mighty to save you today to bring you to salvation as it was to pluck Jonah from the bottom of the ocean as it was to pluck any one of us out of the kingdom of darkness. This is how we're saved. But also understand, church family, that, that if, if we are saved, God's salvation doesn't just get us the get out of hell free card and then we go about it on our own. No, God's salvation is being saved is just the starting point. That salvation begins to work out in our life. We call that sanctification. Sanctification. We see this in the life of Jonah. Jonah's not a pagan running from a God he doesn't believe in. Jonah is a prophet of the Most High. Running from a God he knows, a God he serves. And from what we know from the rest of Scripture, a God he faithfully serves. So what are these breakers? What is this as he's falling down, as he's entering the snare? What is this? This is rebellion inside of a relationship with God. And church family, just because you and I have been saved by the mighty mercy and grace of God, if truly you've placed faith in Christ Jesus, you and I still sometimes, we looked at it last week, we have a call in Christ and we shouldn't run, but sometimes we run from that call. And part of God's salvation in our life, according to Hebrews 12, is that he disciplines us says in Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs 3, that God disciplines those whom he loves. That word discipline is not just correct. It's actually twofold. It's instruction for the one who's walking well, and it's correction for the one who's walking unwell. It's both. In the case of Jonah, we see God's discipline enter the picture for one who is walking unwell. The calamity that falls upon him, the hardships, the breakers, all of these things that he talks about there in Jonah 2, they are present because of God's gracious, loving discipline. See, part of God's salvation in our life, church family, when we look at Jonah 2 and we see him say salvation is God alone, part of God's salvation in our life is that God is active at work. Philippians, he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. God, at the moment of salvation, started a work in our lives. And every one of us in this room, God is still actively doing it. And the question is whether or not we will say, yes, Lord, or we will try to fight. And if we try to fight, God will introduce discipline. God will introduce discipline. Listen, the belly of the well, like how one, one uh, author wrote it, the belly of the well is a, not a very happy place, but it's a really good place to learn. Some of us may find ourselves today in the belly of a well because we've been running from Christ's calling. And we think the belly of the well is this horrible place to escape. We are crying out, pounding on the sides of of the belly of the fish. We're crying out, going, this is horrible. Get me out of this, instead of recognizing, no, actually, this is a means of God's love and grace to restore us to right fellowship and purpose. The waves and the sea in Jonah's life are not God pouring out his frustration, But it's God faithfully in his grace and love coming after his child to restore that child back to walking rightly with him. So understand, church family, today salvation alone belongs to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. It's the day of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, you can know him today. It's the day of salvation for all of us who know the Lord because we are saved. And God is working out that salvation to its ultimate end when we are perfected in Christ. When we see him face to face when he returns and we're reunited with our resurrection bodies. But understand this too. I told you the phrase, the point of the passage is salvation belongs to the Lord alone. You also gotta understand the alone part. God is sovereign over all of salvation. Now what we mean by sovereign, unless we get confused in different theological, what we just mean is God has total control and authority over salvation, which means you and I don't get to argue and bargain with God on the terms of his salvation a person without Christ doesn't get to go. Well, God, I I like, I like the fact that you love me, but I don't like the fact that if you save me, it means I also got to acknowledge these things I really love to do, are wrong. The person without Christ doesn't get to bargain with God about salvation, and you and I in Christ, we don't get to bargain either. We don't get to bargain and go, Wow, God, I'm really glad you saved me, but man, it's really costing me. I'm not sure I like this cost. So may, may, maybe we could do, maybe we could do like. Maybe I could be like a a level 50 Christian and we'd be good with that and, and not go the full length. There's no bargaining with God. He is sovereign over salvation. Salvation is his. He has the right to offer it to who he offers it to, which would be the whole world. He has the right to save who he will save, which would be any who would respond. He does it on his means. It's not by our good works. It's not by our efforts. It's not by trying to clean up. It's not by swimming harder, trying to climb up the sea. It's by his grace. His undeserved, unmerited favor, which you and I can never earn and will never deserve. But as a believer, oh, we must learn to just bask in the fact that though we are undeserving, He is good in giving. Salvation is His alone, which leads really to the final part of application. If salvation belongs to the Lord alone, church family, then we must humbly and thankfully respond to His deliverance. Humbly and faithfully. That means if you find yourself today, I, I do not know Christ. I thought I know Christ. I've been, but the reality is every day I find this. I'm trying to get out of the, the seaweed of the bottom of the ocean of death, and, I, and I, there's no life, and I'm, I can't even make the swim, the climb up to the top. I, I can't do it. If you do not know Christ, understand today it's not just humbly and thankfully respond, it's humbly and thankfully receive. Jonah paints a picture of complete and total hopelessness, waters pouring over, seaweed trapping, bars barring. He is dead to right, but understand this, God hears the cries of the lost man or woman who says, Jesus, save. There is no person so lost, there is no amount of sin in your ledger. That if you understand and recognize, I am a sinner by nature and I need salvation. I do not have the relationship with God I was made for. There is not fulfillment there. There is no amount of sin in your ledger that when you cry out and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he will not instantly and totally wash away with his blood. If you don't know Christ, today is the day to respond. But, church family, for those of us who know Christ, we must continue to humbly and thankfully respond to his salvation. Prone to forget our former life, just how rough we were. Pride creeps in. You see, understand Jonah. There's a lot of questions the text doesn't answer, and as I'm studying through, I think part of those questions that it doesn't answer, we don't fully know all of Jonah's heart, because we know here Jonah seems to respond uh, genuinely. But we also know, if you're familiar with the end of the story, Jonah's not in a good place. He's not walking well with God at the end of the story. So is it only a partial? Is it it a partial response? Is it, well, one, this, understand, God is always at work in our lives, even when we only partly get it, and he's still got to do more to get us to fully get it. Praise God, he's faithful, and he's patient, and he's long-suffering. But I think part of these questions are to allow you and I to examine our heart. On one hand, Jonah is genuine in, in, in his thanksgiving for being saved, but we also, at least in this prayer, maybe in the previous prayer, he repented of his sin. Maybe he didn't. Understand for us, though, church family, we can, we can miss discipline in our pride. We can go, oh, Lord, thanks for taking the hard circumstances away, but fail to actually learn what God brought those in our life to learn. Instead, certainly, we can pray. We can ask the thorn to be taken. We can ask the cup to be taken. We can ask. God gives us the right of sons or daughters to ask. But may we learn to humbly and thankfully say, but Lord, don't let me miss what you're doing. If I'm going to be in the belly of the well, if I'm going to get vomited back onto the dry land, I don't want to go through all of that and miss what you would teach me. Because somehow I think I don't have anything to learn. Or I just don't like the smell of the belly of a fish. But what we also see here. It's the last thing. Joan is an interesting character. He is authentic and fully Human. God, I don't want to go proclaim that to the Ninevites. They are wicked. They are horrible. They are terrible. I don't want that. I'm going to run the other way. But it's interesting. For all of of the ways we can look at Jonah and go, what a terrible dude. Jonah is extremely confident in the character of God as a merciful God says, nevertheless, I'm going to try again. Here I am at the bottom of the sea. I know I don't deserve it at all, but nevertheless, I'm going to cry again, Lord. I'm crying out to you because you're a merciful God. We find out in chapter four, he says, God, I didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites because I knew, I know you're a merciful God. And if they ask to be saved, you're going to do it. There is a confidence in Jonah for better and worse, that God is merciful, that God is gracious. And church family, hear this today. Some of us in this place, we're walking well with God. We are thriving. We are humbly and thankfully receiving his grace and mercy, and we are walking in a way that is holy. We're not running from his calling. Some of us in this place today, whether you're a student or an adult, an older adult, a younger adult, a median adult, whatever other kind of adult there is, some of us are running from Christ. And we go, and we realize it, and we recognize it, Oh, may we also realize that if we've really been saved by the grace and mercy of God, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There is no less grace today than there was at the moment of salvation. Realize today that in response to God being the God of salvation alone, respond to his mercy. God, I know I'm trapped in the belly of a whale. And you've put me here. I know I'm sinking because I am seeking and walking back into all these former sins. I'm not trapped, I'm not ensnared, I'm not dead, I'm alive in you, but I'm I'm going back to the former things and I'm I'm finding them not fulfilling, even if sometimes they feel good. Hear the Cry Church family. God, but God, rich in mercy, He is holy. He will not put up with sin in our lives. It's why he brings discipline out of his love into our lives. And he is gracious and merciful to the one, even, even to the, the son or daughter that has strayed. Our place at the table is secure if we're in Christ. It's not a matter of losing relationship. It's a matter of coming back to right fellowship. For all Jonah's faults and failures, he understands at the bottom of the ocean, I'm gonna cry out again because God is a God of mercy and grace because salvation belongs to him alone. Psalm 95 is where I found myself in my time with the Lord this morning. Listen to the words. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth's, the peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And his hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Maker, thanksgiving, humility. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Church family, understand today God is a God who is mighty and great in mercy and grace to save. The blood of Christ is as powerful today as it was the day it was shed on the cross. It'll be as powerful as that for all eternity. If nothing else, may we worship and thank the Lord that we were once trapped at the bottom, but when we cried out, he saved. But when we not forget what that salvation means as he works it out in our life through his discipline and love, and may we not fail to fall and cry upon his mercy, may we not harden our hearts today, but may we respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and you are faithful. Jonah could have looked at you and said, God, I'm not doing it. And you could have just said, okay, fine. But you didn't. And so, Lord, may we be clear in here with anyone who is in here or online today who does not know you. Today, Lord, you would delight to save them. For those of us whom you have saved, Lord, may we understand and may we not harden our hearts. God, whether we're on dry land or trapped in the belly of a fish, may we not harden our hearts, but Lord, may we humbly and thankfully and joyfully remember you, the God of our salvation, and may we submit to your terms. For your terms are good. They are merciful and gracious. God, may we be a people who never get over the fact that we were once lost, but we are now found because you are a God of amazing grace and mercy be praised in this time by our response, Lord. It's in your name I pray.